This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Boy, did the Mets just luck out a couple of seconds ago. My goodness. Oh, boy. I'm trying to get a sense on what happened. All right, Pete Alonso was at second. Two outs. McNeil was at the dish. McNeil hits one to right center field, which splits the outfield. Or Alonzo was at first, excuse me. McNeil hits one to right center field, splits the gap. Alonzo's lumbering around third base. And literally, when I say lumbering, it's like the tree going down in the forest. He loses his footing and tumbles and tries to get back to third base. As he's going back to third base, McNeil's trying to stretch it to second. The throw goes to second because the Yanks try to pick him off. He slides back in head first, safe, and while he goes to second, Alonzo darts home and scores the tying run. So just a comedy of errors, really, on both fronts. But at the end of the day, it's 2-2. We got ourselves a tie ball game in the top of the sixth out there at Yankee Stadium. So that is where we stand right now, and, of course, that's the story we're Keeping our eyes on here tonight with Game 2 of the Subway Series. Last time these clubs are going to play all season or maybe, maybe, you never know, late October, and it would have to be in the uh, Fall Classic. Remember, you can get me on Twitter, at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. So Subway Series, Kevin Durant, that's where we've spent a lot of our time tonight here on this Tuesday edition of the Dan Grasa Show. First show of the week, of course, we had little Jetsies last night, that scintillating preseason affair against the Atlanta Falcons and thankfully just one more of those are going to be in the offing that'll be Sunday afternoon against the New York Giants one o'clock kickoff 11 a.m. pregame right here on 98.7 Greg Buttle and myself okay takeaways from the game last night let's see what what can we draw what can we deduce from that masterpiece last night well number one it reminds you yet again that the NFL needs to do something three preseason games is is three too many as far as I'm concerned and as far as a lot of other people are concerned. I mean, the product is just god-awful. It is horrendous. And, I mean, even have a game last night that's on national TV, you know, on ESPN. Sunday night, Baltimore played Arizona on Fox. You know, and you're sitting there and, you're and, and you know, who's watching this stuff? You know, like nationally. Like, what kind of a number is this doing, the rating? I know it's football and I know it's the NFL and it's the most popular sport and that sort of thing. But, I mean, you can be the most diehard of diehard fans watching the preseason. I mean, don't you just sit there after a while when it's a bunch of players that you don't recognize and you don't know? You're like, why am I wasting my time watching this? And a game like last night, which was like a penalty fest. I mean, do you re- there were 24 penalties, accepted penalties, in that game last night with the Jets and the Falcons for 225 yards. Literally, I, I was joking about it earlier when I was on with Don and Peter at the end of the K-Show. Like, you just you put your head down, and all of a sudden, every other play, it's flag on the play. I even tweeted it out last night. You know, first half summary, flag on the play. That's all it was. I mean, I don't know if they're just getting them all out of their system in the preseason, so they're not going to throw as much during the regular season. But, I mean, enough is enough. And I understand you can throw a flag on every single – there's holding on every play in the NFL. Every single play there's holding. But it takes willpower from the referees to not go ahead and throw the flag. All right, so what did we learn from that game last night? 17 of the 22 starters didn't even bother to play, and I have no exception with that. You're, you got one eye towards the regular season if you're the New York Jets, right? That's what you got. Bryce Hall ended up playing one of the starting quarterback positions for the Jets last night, and the Falcons picked on him. He had a rough night. 
They didn't throw much in, in Sauce Gardner's direction, but I think that it's fair to say that with a game left in the preseason, I don't know if they're going to make it official. I don't know if they're going to make it fine, uh, you know, finalize it this week. Sauce Gardner won that starting quarterback job over Bryce Hall. You know, so you're going to have Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, and Michael Carter is going to be the nickelback. Those are going to be your Jet corners. And Bryce Hall, you know, at one time or another, I still think the Jets value him, but there's also a reason why they use their first first-round pick on a corner. And they went out and they signed DJ Reed. So I think Bryce Hall is a guy that, you know, was brought in and was drafted by the other coaching staff when they played a different system. And I don't know if he necessarily um, is in the plans long-term for this current staff and the current defense which they employ. But he's still going to be valuable because you need a lot of corners in the NFL, especially in this passing league that we live in right now, in this passing world. You need as many cover guys as possible. But Sauce is going to be the guy. You knew he would be the starter at some point. Might as well go ahead and make it official that uh, he'll be the guy lining up there week number one. Talked about the penalties. Um, You know, it's got to be cleaned up, but league-wide, not just a Jet thing. I think both teams, it's certainly bad. And then today we found out that the kicking competition has been decided because the Jets made five cuts today. One of the five was Eddie Pinheiro, who you feel bad for a little bit, and I guess that's the life of a kicker in the NFL. It's very nomadic. You're a journeyman. And Pinheiro kicked pretty well for this team in the tail end of last season. Not meaningful games, but he still performed well. Doesn't have the strongest leg. But he's accurate. And at the very least, I thought last year when he took over the kicking duties, he, he brought some stability to it, right? Because the kicking game has been, I mean, a revolving door for the Jets for, I mean, how many years? But it's going to be Greg Zerline, a guy who, you know, is a former pro bowler in the NFL. Started with the Rams, had a good start to his career. Then he moved on to Dallas, and he was a little, you know, less of a certainty with the Cowboys the last couple of years, which is one of the reasons why he was, you know, available this offseason. Jets brought him in and, you know, hope they could catch lightning in a bottle. Kickers are much like relief pitchers in baseball. You know, you're always willing to roll the dice on certain guys because even if they're coming off of a struggle, you think that it's that next team, that next year, that next situation where they're going to rediscover their game and they're going to find it. It's happened so many times in the NFL. I mean, look at a guy like, you know, Nick Folk. Jets had him here for a long time. You know, first he was with the Cowboys. Dallas let him go. Goes to the Jets. Has a great career with the Jets. Then he gets hurt. Jets let him go. And then he goes to, you know, Foxborough now, and he's gotten a new lease on life, and he's very productive once again as the Patriots place kicker. Jason Myers was a guy that, you know, kind of bounced around a little bit early in his career. Seattle, Jacksonville, Jets sign him. And then in 2018, he's a pro bowler. And then for whatever reason, the Jets decide not to sign him. He goes and signs a nice deal with Seattle, and he's found a home there, and the Jets have been looking for another kicker since. But if you think about it, I mean, the last seven years, it's going to be seven consecutive years that the Jets are going to begin the season with a different place kicker. I mean, that, that's almost hard to comprehend. Nick Folk in 2016... Chandler Canizero in 2017, Jason Myers, the aforementioned Jason Myers in 2018, Corey Vedvik, remember that disaster? Opening day of 2019, he missed field goals, extra points, you name it, and then he was gone by like the next day. Sam Ficken in 2020, Matt Amendola last year, and Greg Zerline is going to be the place kicker for this upcoming season. So all you say about 
Craig Zerline is, hey, you hope that he can hold the job maybe for two seasons. That would be a step in the, in the right direction for this kicking game for the Jets, which certainly has experienced a heck of a lot of turnover over the last uh, few seasons. And look, Robert Sala also said after last night's game that he's treating this week as an audition, an audition or dress rehearsal for the regular season, that they're going to go out there this week, they're going to scrimmage the Giants on Thursday over at their facility in East Rutherford. And then on Sunday, he said that his starters are going to play some of that game. So thankfully for those of us that have to watch the game and have to talk about the game, at least you're going to get some guys that we're used to seeing and, um, you know, actually factor in or expected to factor in as to what happens in the regular season. You just hope that they get out of it in one piece. So if you are planning on attending the game on Sunday, if you're planning on watching the game on Sunday, know that you're going to have some starters, at least on the Jets side, playing in that game against the New York Giants. And again, once the 11th rolls around and the Baltimore Ravens come to town in week number one, it's not definite, but my guess is that you could probably expect to see Joe Flacco under center and him the one to start the season. I mean, why do you think Joe Flacco didn't play last night, right? On that wet turf, soggy conditions, preseason, it was the Mike White and the Chris Strebler show again. But if you hold Robert Sala to his word, Joe Flacco is going to see a little bit of action on Sunday against the Giants, but he is the guy. He is going to be the one to pilot this ship until Zach Wilson is ready to return. And, you know, somebody brought it up a little bit earlier. The fact that Zach Wilson is injured and he's missing a few weeks, you know, what is that going to do for his development, let's say, as he tries to continue to establish that chemistry with these receivers and he tries to perfect his craft, get a little bit more better, more confident in the pocket, more sure of what he's seeing when he steps back and drops back to read that defense in year number two, his second year in the system, more importantly. You know, all the things that you heard from the coaches and even from Zach up until that point he got hurt was that, you know, he's not thinking as much. And he's just out there playing. And he trusts his eyes a little bit more because he's been in this system now for the last couple of seasons. You hope that this absence because of the knee injury is not going to set him back at least a couple of steps. And I guess we'll find out once he's back in there under center, which might be week two, might be week three. Jets aren't going to rush him back. I can promise you that. They're going to wait till he's 1,000% healthy when it comes to that knee. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Let us say hi to Drew in Queens. He's up next. Talk a little Jets here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Drew. Yeah, hey, how you doing? Um, I just had, I just wanted to say about about the whole the whole Jets situation at quarterback. Yeah. I just wanted to say that that I think for sure the Jets should have traded for Deshaun Watson. Top five quarterback talent, top five in the league quarterback talent. Who would you rather have right now? Brees Hall and and Sauce Gardner and Jermaine Johnson and Garrett Wilson or the top five quarterback? We should have traded for Deshaun Watson. That's what I have to say about the situation. Well, Drew, I thank you for the phone call, and I'll just say that that was never going to happen in a million years, number one. And if you're asking me who would I want those four guys or Deshaun Watson, I'd want those four guys because those four guys are actually going to play this season. <laughs> a doy. You know? Let me trade for a guy who's not going to play, what, 
at least 11 games this upcoming season. And don't you think the Jets and every other team in the NFL knew that? The Browns were the ones that were dumb enough to then guarantee him a $230 million contract. But that's the Browns. There was little to no shot of Deshaun Watson becoming a New York Jet. Little to no shot. 800-919-3776 is the telephone number. As far as the Giants are concerned, oh, you could say that the Jets dodged a bullet with the Zach Wilson injury and the fact that it's not season-ending. You know what? You could also make the same case about the Giants, and I know that a lot of you had your had the lumps in your throat on Sunday night watching what went down at MetLife Stadium against Cincinnati with Kayvon Thibodeau. We'll talk about that coming up next. Dan Grasso with you till 10 right here on 9870 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Before we get back to the calls here, I'll tell you, the Giants, watching that game on Sunday night against Cincinnati and then seeing the play with Kayvon Thibodeau, I didn't even see it live. You know, obviously, it's a preseason game. You're flipping around. I mean, how much of it can you watch? Um, and so I went back and I saw it after the fact, seeing everybody online talking about, oh, oh, what's wrong with Thibodeau? And I went back and I saw the plays. Oh, boy. That's not what you want to have happen in a preseason game. And you guard against that by, you know, not playing your regulars during the preseason. And there's been a lot of, you know, back and forth and a lot of debate as to, you know, whether or not it was a dirty play. And, you know, it was Thaddeus Moss, son of Randy, uh, the Bengals tight end who came and, you know, just carrying out his responsibility on the play, low block, cut blocked, whatever you want to call it, Kayvon Thibodeau. But it was a legal play. You know, you might not want to see it in a preseason game, but it was a legal play. And here's the difference. You know, Thibodeau's got to learn, you know, that's one of the many examples of making that leap from college to the pros. You know, maybe that's not something he sees in the Pac-12. You know, the Pac-12 is not really known as, you know, physical football. So maybe he didn't have to engage much and have to take on blockers and, and tough instances like that when he was playing out there with Oregon. But in the NFL, you can't half-ass these things, right? And if that – remember, Kayvon Thibodeau is making the Giants. He's on the team. Thaddeus Moss is fighting for his life. He's fighting for a roster spot with the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, just because his dad is in the Hall of Fame does not mean he's guaranteed anything in the National Football League because he hasn't really been a mainstay up until this point. Right? He's, he's scratching, he's fighting, he's clawing. And he's had many stops. You know, he didn't even get drafted out of college. And he's been to a few teams now, and he's just trying to be a, a, a consistent, you know, week-to-week NFL player. Not a guy who's going to have to spend time on practice squads and so on and so forth and on and on and on. So you know that he's going to go out there and play hard and execute a block hard because he's trying to stand out on tape and make the coaches recognize. And if it's not the Bengals coaches, coaches from one of the other 31 teams. And Kayvon Thibodeau's got to know that, hey, this is the NFL now, man. You know what? All these guys, especially in the preseason, they're fighting for jobs. I might not be, but they are. So if you don't want to engage the blocker, something like that might happen. And you know what? There have been guys that have played the game that have said exactly the same thing over the last couple of days. It was not a dirty play. So that's something that, you know, maybe he wasn't necessarily schooled up on by his coaches in college because it's not really 
as big of a part of the college game as maybe you see in the NFL, but on Sundays, that's something you see. Here's the head coach of the Giants. Here's Brian Dayball, how big of a scare it was when Kayvon had the injury. Well, I think it's a scare anytime these players work as hard as they can possibly work to, to try to do as well as they can. And anytime you see someone on the turf, uh, regardless of you know, how they got here, um, it's always, you know, it's, it's hard as a coach to watch a guy go down. And they dodged the bullet. They dodged the bullet in the fact that it's only going to be a few weeks. You know, I don't know about his availability for the opener. They might err on the side of caution, just like the Jets will with Zach Wilson. But you figure in sometime in September that Thibodeau's going to be back in there for the Giants. And they need him in a big way. Because you know what? Whatever concerns, whatever questions you had about the Giant pass rush and their front four and getting some pursuit off the edge, which has been few and far between over the last several years, that's one of the reasons why they took Thibodeau where they did and brought him in. He's supposed to play a big role for this football team. They want him in there. But just like I was talking about with it possibly being a dirty play, what did the head coach think about, you know, the, the concept of low blocks and their place in the game? Yeah, well, that's the rules. You know, if they can, if they allow it, um, you know, we do it as well with tight ends and fullbacks going back to the line of scrimmage. So I got to do a good job playing it. It's tough lock, um, but whatever the rules are, that's, those are the rules. Like I said, it's not going away anytime soon. You know, it's a contact sport. It's a physical sport. It's football. Josh in Long Island, up next, 98.7 ESPN. Josh, how are you? Hey, Dan, what's going on, man? Um, first, it's like my second time calling. Just wanted to, uh, first and foremost, congratulate you on your show, man. It must be an awesome achievement to uh, accomplish. But um, I kind of just want to pick your brain to see uh, where do you think the Giants stand. I'm incredibly realistic. I know that they're terrible. I mean, I only have them, like, maybe, like, top, 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 maybe eight or nine wins. But I kind of think that they don't only win four wins again. What do you think? I think that, Josh, you're probably not that far off. That's probably the ceiling that I see for the Giants right now, maybe that 8-9. Now, look, I don't love the division. Like, if you're sitting here talking about the two teams, the Giants and the Jets, I think the AFC East is certainly a lot more formidable than the NFC East is, which would mean that maybe there's more opportunity for the Giants to navigate, you know, maybe making some noise in that division. I think that Washington is going to have a tough year. I think Philadelphia is the team to beat. Dallas is very talented, we know that, but you know anything that could go wrong with the Cowboys always seems to rear its ugly head at the worst time. And then you have the Giants. But you know, if you're a fan, Josh, and, and you know, for all the Giant fans out there, like eight, nine wins, how does Daniel Jones play? How responsible is Daniel Jones for those eight, nine wins? Because to me, maybe even more so than the wins and losses. I need an answer one way or the other at the end of the year. Is Daniel Jones my quarterback moving forward? Yeah, no, absolutely. I absolutely agree. I'm a huge Daniel Jones fan, man. I'm, I'm a, a huge, huge supporter, but it's just like the eye test. Like, you know, just the stuff that he's doing, man, if you look at and accumulate all his fumbles and his sacks and just holding on to the ball, it's just starting to get a little bit like sink or swim now with the season, especially with everything that's upgraded around him, from coaching staff to defensive front to wide receivers, playmakers. So, Hopefully everything goes good, man. I appreciate you taking my call, Dan. Josh, thanks for the call. You get back to us. It, 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 that's what it, I mean, that's what this season is for the Giants. Yeah, you want to win some games along the way, but it's still very much an evaluation. I mean, that's what happens when you're sitting there with a new coach and a new GM. I mean, 
they can't expect miracles this year. Joe Shane, Brian Dayball, their approaching 2022 is, okay, I need to find out who's going to be here when we turn this program around and who's not going to be here. And I would think that the quarterback position probably is the most important question. And that's probably the most difficult decision that you're going to be faced with. Is this guy going to be the one that we essentially turn over the keys to the castle to for years and years and years? Because remember, it is a very, very quarterback-rich draft in 2023, at least as of now. Got to still have a college football season. We know when anything can happen. But right now, you might have five, six guys who are first-round caliber talents at the quarterback position. And so if you're the Giants and you win your eight, nine games, where are you picking? You win eight, nine games, you're probably picking somewhere in the low 20s. That's my guess. So how many of the top prospects are going to be off the board if you're picking in the 20s? If you want to find your new quarterback in the draft, I say, you know what? Your chances are probably better not having a good season and having a good draft choice next year. But nobody's going to go out there and be dead set on trying to lose games. And Jones is going to have a big say as to what happens with this team. 800-919-3776, that's the telephone number. Former quarterback in town. His fate has been decided for the upcoming season. Talk about that coming up next. 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. 2-2 Mets and Yanks. They're stretching right now in the Bronx, going to the bottom of the seventh inning. Mets were in good position. He had Beatty at second base with just one out. And then Brandon Nimmo... Gets a hold of one deep to right center. Good job by Aaron Judge tracking it down in center field on the warning track for the second out. I thought that Beatty probably could have, should have tagged up and taken third base. It wouldn't have made a difference, though, because next batter, Starling Marte, lines one to right field that Oswaldo Cabrera secures for the third and final out of the inning. So story of this game, missed opportunities for the Mets. Uh, one for nine with runners in scoring position. They've left six on base. You know, they probably should have more than two runs on the board, but a good job by the Yankee pitchers for settling down, getting some tough outs. Montas over to Clark Schmidt here. So two all, bottom seven. Looks like we got a good one again here in the Bronx in this Subway series. Now, still talking football, and it really wasn't all that long ago. It's funny when you think about what the hopes were for Sam Darnold in New York with the Jets. Third overall pick in 2018. Won his NFL debut on that Monday night in Detroit. Oddly enough, that's actually the last time the Jets have won a game in the month of September was that Sam Darnold debut on Monday night, which is hard to fathom. Hopefully that streak ends this year. But with a variety of circumstances, you know, things kind of went south. 2019, he gets mono early in the season with the new coaching staff led by Adam Gase. Then comes back and plays pretty good football second half of the year down the stretch. Jets win games and, you know, hopes were high for 2020. Then 2020 was a disaster. Team wasn't any good. Sam got hurt again. Um, then when he finally comes back in, wins a couple of games, <laughs> believe it or not, which uh, took the Jets out of the running for Trevor Lawrence and the top overall pick in the draft. 
They get the second pick. Team falls in love with Zach Wilson, and they trade Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers. Now, look, nobody's complaining about what the Jets got in return for Sam Darnold. You think about the draft picks that they turned around and used to pick up productive players that you know you hope are going to be foundation pieces for the team now as they try to kick this thing into a winning program. And the mistake that Carolina made upon acquiring him last year was they went ahead and automatically picked up his 50-year option, which was to the tune of almost $20 million. Things start off great for him there last year. Begins 3-0. and Then the injuries mount. McCaffrey goes down again. Sam Darnold goes down with an injury. And by the time he was back in there, he just couldn't really establish that same footing as he had the first three weeks of the season. And they limped to the finish line, so much so that the Panthers were left during the offseason debating, wondering whether or not that, you know, this was our guy. Not that he won't be on the team because we picked up the option and we still owe him a lot of money, but can we just hand him the starting job? Well, we know the answer to that question. They went out and they traded for Baker Mayfield after his time had run its course with the Cleveland Browns. They had an open competition, and yesterday the Panthers declared that Baker Mayfield was going to be the guy. And he kind of got that idea when they traded for Baker. You're not trading for Baker Mayfield to be your backup, right? That, 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 that's not going to happen. They had guys there like P.J. Walker who could have served as the backup quarterback, but they wanted somebody who was maybe a little bit more proven at the starting quarterback position. So the Panthers now have two of the top three picks of the 2018 draft, both quarterbacks, both guys that neither one of them selected in the draft. So Mayfield's got the job. And Darnold's career now is at a little bit of a crossroads. So this is two teams that, you know, have lost faith in him, for better or for worse, as their starting quarterback. And at one time, thought of being that guy for the future. So here was Sam meeting with the media and his thoughts on not getting the starting job. You know, every single day we were fighting for the starting job. And every day was our game day out there during camp. And, you know, especially as we got into these last couple of weeks, um, you know, with, with uh, training with New England and, and uh, the game against Washington and obviously our game against New England. So, um, yeah, obviously it, it didn't go my way. Coach named Baker the starter. And, um, you know, my mindset, you know, is, uh, is what it is. And for me right now, um, I'm going to do everything I can to support Baker and, um, you know, get him ready to play a game. Um, obviously, we still got one more preseason game left, so I'm focused on that. But when the regular season comes around, um, I'm going to do everything I can to, to support him and, um, you know, be ready for when my time comes. I feel bad for Sam. I, I mean, you know, I, I like him personally. Real good dude. Really, really good dude. Um, it just hasn't worked out. You know, are we, are we at the point now where, you know, he'll never be a winning starting quarterback in the National Football League? I, I mean, I can't say that just yet. You're still only talking about a guy who's going into his fifth season. Still extremely young. You know, weird things happen in sports. Weird things happen in the National Football League. There have been plenty of quarterbacks who, you know, it flamed out in one time or another and then you know, ended up in a situation or pressed into duty to where all of a sudden they had a new lease on life. And then voila, countless examples. You know, you wrote them off and you thought they were done. They were finished. They were never going to be successful with anything. But this happened. So we'll see where this leads. And who knows, if Baker Mayfield gets hurt, you know, they're going to have Sam an opportunity for redemption, perhaps. Oh, look, bottom line with Carolina is so much of what they do 
And they're going to have to learn the hard way. You know, Baker Mayfield will or whoever the quarterback's going to be. So much what they do is riding on Christian McCaffrey and him being healthy. I mean, in a lot of ways, you can make the case that Christian McCaffrey is their most important player, not even the starting quarterback, because he commands so much of the offense, and he's so responsible for what they do offensively. I mean, how many touches he gets in any given game, whether it's you know running the football out of the passing game, you know how big of a weapon he could be for you. And really, like I said last season, after that third game when he got injured, that's when the season essentially went up in smoke for the Carolina Panthers, and that's where everything changed. So if he's healthy, it's going to help whoever the quarterback is. If he's not healthy, I think you're still going to get the same struggles. Because Baker Mayfield's not promised there. I mean, he's a free agent at the end of the season. He's also auditioning for 31 other teams, I think, across the entire NFL landscape. But Carolina right now, like when you look at them in the NFC South, I I, I, I just think that it's going to be hard for them to put together a good season. Bucks are the team to beat-ish, right? I say ish. Brady's there, again, and he just got back to camp. But he's already down two starting offensive linemen, right? Center's gone. One of his guards is down for the count. How is that going to impact things? And if you look at this Saints team, like, don't sleep on the Saints. Like, really, like top to bottom, the Saints might have the best roster. Like, if you subtract quarterback, Saints could have as talented a team, if not a more talented team, than the Buccaneers do. And one thing that's not disputable is that the Saints have the Bucs number, at least since Brady's been there. Saints have won four out of the five games head-to-head. The only one that they lost was, unfortunately for them, that playoff game, and probably the one that mattered the most. But if you believe in Jameis Winston, and if you believe that he could keep this offense going, Saints have a good, good football team. Like, really do. There's also questions, though, about the head coach and Dennis Allen. You know, the visor getting his second opportunity as an NFL head coach. But I like the Saints. Like the Bucks. Falcons are going to have a long, long season. Long, long season. Um, it's rebuilding for them. Right, and they don't have their they don't have their franchise quarterback either. They traded him, member to Indianapolis and Matt Ryan. Marcus Mariota's a placeholder, so you know, Carolina probably fits somewhere no better than third in the NFC South. That's how I see things shaking out there with that football team. And as far as Brady is concerned, he's back at camp. You know, nobody knows where he was, what he was up to. We talked about the mass singer theory last week. I thought it was outstanding, and I still want to believe that with all my heart, all my fiber, that. That's what he was off doing. And I don't know if we'll ever get the true story or the real story. We may, we may not. That's what I'm choosing to believe until proven otherwise. Because I want to have a little fun, that's why. But did you hear that story that came to light now about a team that maybe Brady could have gone to, right? Could have gone to in 2020 before he ended up with Tampa Bay. And that was the Las Vegas Raiders. And it was Dana White, of all people, who pulled the curtain back on that rumor. Take a listen to this.
Dana White, the MMA guy, Dana White. Of all people. I worked to put that deal together for Brady and Gronk to come to the Raiders. And it was almost a done deal. And at the last minute, Gruden blew the deal up and said that he didn't want him. And Whoa. all Whoa. hell broke loose, man. It was crazy. And, and, and Brady was already looking at houses, and it wasn't being said yet that Gronk was coming. So Las Vegas would have had Brady and Gronk the year that the Bucks won the Super Bowl, except Gruden blew the deal wow. up. Interesting. Another, like, kicking John Gruden down while he's, uh, you know, walking out the door. He's been out the door, as they say. But that, you know, is that the guy that Tom Brady was talking about a few years ago when he was on, you know, that program on, what was it, the barbershop or whatever, on H or the boardroom, one of them, barbershop, boardroom, which one was it? I can't remember. Um, when he said that, you know, he heard, you know, or one of the teams he talked to in 2020, he thought that he was going to. And then at the last minute, like that team decided to, oh, it was on the shop. Okay. And that team decided to hang on to that quarterback instead of him. And Brady was offended by that. He was like, okay, you're going to run it back with that so-and-so. But nobody knew who he was talking about. But it turns out it might have been the Raiders and Derek Carr. Which, you know, no knock on Derek Carr, no disrespect on him, but he's not Tom Brady. And it would have been funny to see Brady with the Raiders. Still in the AFC. Maybe sticking it to the Patriots at the Belichick along the way. But we'll never know. I don't know. Today they were kind of trying to, like, lump Mark Davis's name into things, that he was the one that, you know, said no to the deal. I don't believe that. I mean, Mark Davis is a lot of things. Not exactly a fashion, uh, a fashion icon. But I don't think he's that dumb. Who would say no to Tom Brady? I don't care if it was your own kid who was the team's starting quarterback. If you got a chance to get Tom Brady, you're going to go get Tom Brady. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. We come back, we'll get an update uh, on what's happening out there at the Subway Series in the Bronx, and also go around the diamond, some news happening in and around Major League Baseball, and we'll also, also hear the first public remarks of the latest caught cheater in Major League Baseball. You want to stay tuned for that. It's Dan Grasso with you till the top right here on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. We'll do a lot of baseball tomorrow, of course, because the Mets and the Yankees aren't going to be playing. So I'm sure that that's going to be a hot topic of conversation, Subway Series fallout. And right now, the Yankees have a lead by the same scores they won last night's game they've opened up a 4-2 lead scratching across two across here in the seventh inning and sometimes you know what you need a couple of breaks bounce the ball so on and so forth create your own luck whatever cliche you want to use but Jose Trevino with uh, Cabrera at second base hits a shallow fly ball to right field where you had three people converge on it you had Pete Alonso go back for it you had Starling Marte come in for it at right field. You had Jeff McNeil go out for it from his second base position. So you had three of them all running towards the foul line. Alonzo was calling everybody off, and as Alonzo's backpedaling to try to get it, he can't come up with it, and it drops right on the ground. It was like, you know, not quite Luis Castillo, shades of that, but, you know, to the same effect. So what happens? You have Cabrera advance to third base on the play, and then that sets up 
Andrew Benintendi's next at bat, and he uh, slaps a single to the left side of the vacant part of the infield. Cabrera's allowed to score because he moved over on that uh, Trevino pop-up, and Trevino moves over to second base, so that made it 3-2. Then two batters later, after LeMahieu struck out, you had Judge with an RBI single to center, scoring Trevino to make it 4-2. So that one pop-up that the Mets could not corral leads to essentially an inning continuing and two runs scoring. And now, with the way the Mets have hit tonight, uh, you know, one for nine with runners in scoring position with six left on base, are you confident they're going to be able to find a way to score two runs over these last two innings? And more importantly, I want to see how Aaron Boone approaches this thing with his bullpen. You know, last night it worked out perfectly with Marinaccio and Loisaga getting the final eight outs of the game. Tonight, Clark Schmidt's giving him four outs of uh, scoreless baseball out of the pen, but who's going to get the final six? That's going to be the question. We'll see how they attack it. You know that the Yankee bullpen has been an adventure, you know, of late, and we'll see if the Mets are up for the test to see if they can rally. Otherwise, it's going to be a disappointing game. Really and truly is for the New York Mets, uh, the way they've executed. And the Yankees, again, again, same themes. Judge, is Benintendi finally adjusting to life with the Yankees? This is now three straight games where he's contributing. Boy, that Brian Cashman is a genius. You had Montas dodging trouble in and out all night long. You have Benintendi, a couple of hits and an RBI. Boy, Cashman the genius again, working his magic at the deadline. Why did we ever doubt him? Let's see how the final two winnings play out here. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., you might have heard of him. Cheater. Suspended by Major League Baseball. 80 games, San Diego Padres. Finally met the media. Spoke to them today out at Petco Park. Uh, and he wanted to apologize to everybody. I'm really sorry. Uh, I have let so many people down. I have lost so much love, and I failed. Um, I failed to all of them. I failed to the front office, the San Diego Padres, Peter Seiler, H.J. Paylor. I have failed to every fan of this city. I have failed to my country. I have failed my family, parents. At least he's owning it, you know, and he's taking accountability, unlike the statement that he put out last week or a couple of weeks ago when it happened about, oh, you know, I had ringworm and I used a topical cream that, you know, contained a banned substance that I'm not allowed to take as a baseball player. Stop. Come on. Stop. Um, He also says that everything around him is crumbling right now. I've seen how my my dreams have turned into my worst nightmares. A couple days couple months, but there's no other one to blame than myself. I haven't made the right decisions on this past two weeks, month, even starting at the beginning of the year. I have made a mistake, and I regret every single step that I have taken in these days. Is that all the doings of the PR team out there in San Diego? You know, like media relations and stuff like that, or is he hired like a screenwriter? Because I like that. That line was a good line about, like, my dreams have now turned into my nightmares and so on and so forth. Look, I, I'm kidding, of course, but um, it's not the end of the world. It's not. He's still so young 
that he could salvage his career and still have a career that everybody thought he was going to have based on his incredible amount of talent. It's not like he committed a crime. He didn't go to jail. It's nothing like super serious. Like there were people, you know, when this thing came down a couple of weeks ago, everybody said, well, you know, forget about the Hall of Fame. He's not going into the Hall of Fame now. He's a cheater. Are we sure about that? Like, I, I disagree with that wholeheartedly because if you think about it, he's still so early on in his career that if he, you know, has a controversy-free next 15 years that is extremely productive and Hall of Fame caliber, he'll get voted in. He'll get voted in. Forgive and forget. You know, it's not like this happened and he got busted in year, you know, 12 of his career that seemed destined for Cooperstown. It's so early on. He could come back from this. But I'll tell you, I was like beginning to go all in on the Padres. I love the move to bring in Josh Hader, apart from Juan Soto. Juan Soto, by the way, scratched with back tightness, not in the lineup tonight. And he's been underwhelming. Josh Bell has done nothing for them, the other guy that came over from, from the Nationals. And Josh Hader has been so bad, he's been removed from the closer's role. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, how much money they spend, how many flashy players they bring in, all-stars, whatever. The Padres are still going to Padre. You know, the last time the Padres made the playoffs in a full 162-game season was 2006. 16 years ago. And how many different uniform incarnations have they gone through? That was when they still had that, like, navy blue and gold crap. That ain't the Padres. I thought when they changed back to the brown uniforms that they were going to start winning again. Because that's what the Padres are. That's what they should be. Bad news for the Dodgers. Walker Bueller, who I think is their most talented starting pitcher. He's got the best stuff. You knew he was going to be gone for the rest of the season because he was having an elbow procedure, but they didn't know, like, to what extent until they actually got in there and, and seen what was going down. Well, he had the surgery today, and it turns out they needed to do full Tommy John surgery. So Walker Bueller is done for not only this year, but he's done for all of 2023, which stinks for the Dodgers. It really does. So you're not going to see Bueller till 24 because the surgery happened so late in the season. This is going to hurt them. You know, they don't have proven starting pitching options to the extent that they once did. A few of these guys are free agents at the end of the year. Dodger pitching now is in a little bit of upheaval, and that's why still, even though they have the best record in the sport, I can't go all in on the Dodgers yet because I don't trust the pitching. Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson are not guys that are a sure thing come October. You like the Mets starting pitching light years more than you do the Dodgers. Speaking of the Mets, leadoff walk to Lindor to start the eighth. Alonzo single. So the Mets got first and second nobody out against Clark Schmidt to begin the eighth. Tying runs on base for two Yankees. We'll see where this thing takes us. We'll certainly talk about it tomorrow night here on the program. But this is now the time of the show where we say adieu. We say goodnight. Thanks to Jacob Perry. Thanks to Harvey Cruz. Thanks to everybody that called and listened and tweeted. I don't know if the podcast is going to be up, guys, but keep checking. I promise I'm working on it. We will get it up there for you so you can go back and listen to the show. In the meantime, get me on Twitter at Dan Grassa, G-R-A-C-A. Anita Marks is next. Dan Grassa saying so long. Talk to you tomorrow, everybody. This is the Dan Grassa Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>